Let's pray. And I want to open up God's word to us. Lord, we, we're full of joy in seeing your kingdom advance and progress. Thank you. Lord, I pray that you would open up your word to us now by your power. I praise you for Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17. What an amazing text. Lord, I pray that you would impact our hearts altogether like you've impacted me. And I want to be impacted more. Show us who you are. Show us what you call us to do. Show us how you call us to live. Through your word today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. I went to uh, college UC Santa Barbara a long time ago. And during my college years, during that season of life, I thought that uh, the Christian life was all about squelching my desires for satisfaction and for pleasure and for joy. It was all about squelching my desires for joy and pleasure. And kind of out of duty, because he was, Jesus is true, out of duty, following Jesus. So squelching my desires for pleasure and joy and just kind of dutifully being committed to Jesus Christ. And so I, I tried to live that really hard. I tried to fight against sin and I you know, went to church and tried to preach the gospel and, and uh, love people. Uh, mostly just out of a sense of duty because I was supposed to because it was the right thing to do. But it didn't work out so well. And as I look back on those years, I mean, I saw just numerous times when, I, when I, I succumbed to temptation and I looked at and my heart was like empty and I wasn't experiencing the life that Jesus was talking about. Because my view of the Christian life was I was supposed to squelch my desires for joy and peace and, and kind of follow Jesus just simply out of duty because it was the right thing to do because I was supposed to. Then, my first year in seminary, a dear friend gave me this article by this guy named John Piper I'd never heard of. And in this article, he showed scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, which helped me see that my understanding of the Christian life was wrong. That what all these scriptures were saying was that I'm not supposed to squelch my desires for pleasure and joy, but God's calling me to pursue with all my heart my desire for pleasure and joy in God. Massive difference. I mean, it was like a second conversion. Seriously. It was an amazing change. God saved me again. So this week, as I was reading through Isaiah chapter 48, I loved coming to verse 17. I'm sure I've read this verse before, but like, boom! Because what God said there in Isaiah chapter 48, 17 was the truth that I did not get through those college years. It's the truth that I wish I would have understood through those college years. It's the truth that if I would have understood it, it would have saved me a lot of pain and grief during those college years. And it's the truth that I want to show you this morning. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 48. So powerful. And if you need a Bible, we we want all of you to have a Bible to turn to this morning so you can follow along with us. We are passionate about studying the scriptures here at Mercy Hill Church. And Isaiah 48 is on page 608 in the Bibles that we're passing out. So we're working our way through the book of Isaiah. What is this book? Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. He lived around the year 700 BC, raised up as a prophet to bring God's word to the nation of Israel. And Isaiah 48 was written to be read by Israelites when they were in exile in Babylon. 
They'd been following idols. God said, if you don't stop following idols, I'm going to bring Babylon in. They're going to conquer you. And you're going to be taking slaves to Babylon. And there they were. And so this chapter was written for those Israelites enslaved in Babylon under God's punishment. And God's main point in Isaiah chapter 48 is to persuade them, turn away from the Babylonian idols, turn back to me. Trust me, my goodness, my mercy. And you can break chapter 48 down into two parts. First of all, in verses 1 through 5, God says to Israel, listen. In your past, you can look back through your historical documents. I've given prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And I fulfilled all of them. You've seen all these amazing fulfillments. And I did that so you'd get the fact that your idols do nothing. Which of your idols have made any prophecies that have been fulfilled? None of them. Turn back to me. That's verses 1 through 5. And then in verses 6 through 22, God says, Now I'm making a new prophecy to you. This new prophecy is, I am not going to pour all of my wrath that you deserve out upon you in Babylon. I'm going to save you and bring you back from Babylon to the promised land to show you my goodness. That's what I'm going to do. So turn from the idols in Babylon back to me. That's the point. And then in verse 17, he says something very powerful about who he is in order to persuade them to turn away from the idols, turn back to God. Look at what he says in verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to prophets, who leads you in the way you should go. God teaches us to prophets. That's the truth I've been missing. That's what the scriptures in John Piper's article showed me. And that's what I'm praying God will capture our hearts with today. So as I thought and prayed about that phrase, I'm just going to camp on that one phrase. And I I thought of three implications that I think are contained in that phrase, that God teaches us to profit. I want to unfold these three implications, and then if we have time we can get some questions and then dig in to see what difference this makes for us. Here's his first implication. If God teaches us to profit, then God is teaching that it's not wrong for you to pursue your profit. Right? He's teaching you to profit, so it's not wrong. Now, my wife wanted me to make sure I mentioned that the word profit here is not the word P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Okay, not like somebody who is speaking prophecy. It's the word profit, where you get a profit. The problem, though, in our culture, what's the first thing you think of when you hear profit? money, okay, that's not what's going on here, we're going to talk about that more in a second, get, I can see you're all discouraged now, it's like, oh, oh, I thought there was good news here, okay, there's even, there's infinitely better news than money here, okay, so the Hebrew word, it's helpfully translated profit, but it refers to anything that would be to your good, to your gain, to your advantage, to your joy, to your satisfaction, to your peace, your gain, your profit, that's what's being talked about here And so what God is saying in this passage is, it's not wrong to pursue your gain, your well-being, your advantage. In fact, he calls you to pursue it. He's teaching you to profit. Now let me show you two other passages to back this up. And we're going to just put the scriptures here, here on the screen, because otherwise you'd be flipping around. Start with Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Do we have that? Bingo. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Drew. Look at this amazing text, Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. I just want to give you some other scriptures to back it up, so it's not just one little verse for hanging all of this on. Seven chapters later in Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, talking about heart thirsts, 
Is your heart thirsting for meaning, joy, purpose, satisfaction? This is to you. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. No money. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You can come and buy when you have no money because Jesus Christ paid it all. That old hymn we love to sing. And verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So God says, stop spending your effort on what is not bread and what is not going to satisfy you. Spend your energies on what is true bread and what will really satisfy you. Pursue your profit. See that? Look at Matthew 16, 24 through 26, words of our Lord Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? If he, there's that word, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So we are called to deny ourselves. Yes. And we're called to take up our crosses. In that culture, that would have been a horrifying, ugly thought. We're called to take up our crosses. Yes. Die to ourselves. Yes. We're called to lose our lives for Jesus' sake. Yes. But why? What's the reason given in this passage? It's because of what we will gain. Do you see that? It's because of what we will profit. We will find our lives that way. So Jesus is calling us to pursue our profit. Isaiah is calling us to pursue what will bring us gain. But see, that's what I just didn't get when I was in college. I just didn't get that at all. I thought God was calling me to stop pursuing my gain my benefit, my pleasure, my satisfaction. I kind of saw it this way, like over here was profits, and God said, turn, turn away from profits, so no more profit, I'm just going to go for God. Okay? Or over here is joy, and God's saying, turn away from joy, no more joy, you've got to go for God. See what a terrible picture that is? Here's pleasure, satisfaction, no more pleasure and satisfaction, I'm going to follow God. How glorious is that God? You see that? It's not at all what the Bible's telling us. That was totally wrong in the way that I was approaching things back then. God teaches you to profit, to pursue your gain. And see, God has put in me, and he has put in you, cravings for beauty and glory and satisfaction and joy and pleasure. He's put these in us, and he does not call us to ignore them. God calls us to pursue them. To pursue them. Where? How? What is it that will bring us those things that we're craving so much? That's the next question. Next implication. If God teaches us to profit, then that must mean that God is teaching us where to find the greatest profit. If he's teaching you to profit, then part of that would be, and here's where that is, right? 
So is he talking, for example, we hear about the prosperity gospel today. Is he talking about, if you follow me, I'm going to give you health, and I'm going to give you wealth, and I'm going to give you a life that's free from trials. I ask you, has anybody here experienced that life that's free from trials thing? Anybody miss that? See, that is totally not what God is saying. And that is raising up an idol of health and an idol of wealth and an idol of a trials-free life over God. It's wrong. God has got something infinitely better to offer to us than that. Look at verses 17 and 18 of Isaiah chapter 48. Back to Isaiah 48. Look at how he explains what the prophet is. Isaiah 48, 17 and 18. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to prophets, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. What's going on here? God is lamenting that they had not paid attention to his commandments. This book is full of commandments, and you can boil them all down to one one thought, and that is God's calling us. I'm going to bring it up into the New Testament context since Jesus' coming. What God is calling us to do is, he says, trust, trust me to be all that I've promised to be in Christ Jesus. Trust me that all that God promises to be in Christ Jesus, he will do. Trust, it's faith, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, life, death, and resurrection, Jesus will save us, he'll forgive us, he'll change us, he'll secure us, he'll satisfy us. Trust all that I promise to be to you in Christ Jesus. And then when you trust in that way, your life will start to change. Like we heard about Christopher White's life, okay, earlier today from Ian. Many of us, we've seen our, seen our lives changing. As we trust Jesus Christ, our lives start to change. We don't become perfect, but progressively, growingly, we change. We're more loving. We're more gracious. We're, we forgive. We give to the poor. Our hearts are changing because we're trusting Jesus as our security and as our treasure. So that's the commandments that God wants us to be paying heed to. And here, God says, if we will do that, then we will profit. And what is the profit? Two words. Peace, like a river. Is that big old river up there? Okay. Peace, like a river and righteousness like the waves of the sea. Now this word peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which refers to emotional well-being. It's a heart sense of peace and satisfaction and fullness and joy, and it's all centered in who God is. Your circumstances can be falling apart, and you can be unemployed, and you can be sick, and still feel this river of peace. Hello? Many of you are and have experienced that. So let's make the big distinction. We're not talking about all your circumstances are going to be fine. We're talking about the fact that your heart will be full of the living God in the person of Jesus. That's shalom. And then righteousness, it's a broad word. But I think in this context, what righteousness is referring to is God's saving supernatural work in in our lives, taking care of all the other details so we can pursue our calling to seek God and our joy in his glory. So, peace like a river, massive river-wide peace, and righteousness like the waves of the sea, never stopping, right? The waves just 
Have you ever seen the oceans like all of a sudden stop with waves? I mean, they go up and down, and you can surf when they're bigger. I know that whole thing. But, but anyway, the waves just keep coming. They keep coming. They keep coming. God will take care of all the details you need. He'll provide the wisdom. He can deliver you from trials. He can sustain you in trials. He can heal your sickness. He can meet you in your sickness. He will take care of all the details that you need. He will take care of everything. His peace like a river. His righteousness like the waves of the sea. You're seeking your heart's satisfaction in him. In other words, the prophet is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The prize that you get is God in Jesus. You get to know the living God in the person of Jesus. He's the prophet. P-R-O-F-I-T. And P-R-O-P-H-E-T too. But anyway, we're talking about the P-R-O-F-I-T. Now, let me show you two more scriptures just to drive this truth home. Look at Psalm 1611. It's up here on the screen. I think there it is. Great. Okay. You know, this is one of my favorite verses. I just had to bring it in on this point. You, speaking to God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is our profit? That is, where are we going to find fullness of joy and pleasures forever. I mean, just put this verse out of your mind temporarily. Is there anybody here who's not interested in fullness of joy? Okay, so like, you're, when was the last time you were full of joy? And anybody here who's not interested in that fullness of joy being a pleasure forever? Like, ever and ever? So th- this sounds, th- this could be some profit, right? This could be some gain, And where do we find this fullness of joy and pleasure forever? It's in God himself. Not in what he gives, but in who he is. In knowing him, beholding him, fellowshipping with him, worshipping him, loving him. So see, do you see from this verse that God is not calling you to squelch your desire for joy and pleasure? Do you see that? No, he's offering you fullness of joy and pleasures forever. He's saying, go for the pleasure and the joy in the most full and lasting way possible. And that is, you you turn from sin, you turn from your idols, you turn from pursuing fame, you you turn from getting more and more money, you're turning from lots of things that look pleasurable, but you're pursuing God because it's in God's presence that there's fullness of joy and pleasure forever. Another scripture, look at Psalm 43. Verses 3 and 4. This is an amazing text. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God. To God my exceeding joy joy. That is an amazing statement in the scriptures. We're talking about profit, heart satisfaction. What is the psalmist's exceeding joy? It's God himself. God is his exceeding joy. So back to this picture. Remember I said, it's not that we're turning from my exceeding joy and I'm going after God. It's that I'm turning from lesser joys. And I'm following God who is in himself my exceeding joy. 
a radically different picture of the Christian life, at least it was for me when I first started thinking about these things. God is where fullness of joy is found. God is where pleasures will be found forever. God is your exceeding joy. There's a problem here. You might be hearing this and, and you're just thinking, you know, that's just like words. I have no frame of reference for thinking about joy in God. Yeah, you know, I, exceeding joy, we're talking about sex. You know, like watching the Sharks win game seven this last week with my buddies, you know, or maybe it's shopping or food. Or, you know, I understand exceeding joy, but God? I, that just, it just doesn't, it's not happening for me. You know, you've lost me on that one. Okay, I, I know. I've been there, and I still am there too much of the time. So if God is your exceeding joy, that is, if the God who's created the universe and who's revealed himself to us in his son Jesus Christ, if that is your exceeding joy, then why, why don't we feel it? Right? Here's an illustration I heard, and this is from, from John Piper, and uh, it just it really helped me. Why don't we feel it? Here, here, here's why. God created you with some spirit, call them spiritual taste buds. Okay? which are, 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 have the capacity to taste God. I mean, so you've got these spiritual taste buds, and, and so you, you taste who God is. Oh, that's good. It's like hot fudge sundae, and like when you taste it, oh. Okay, so you've got these spiritual taste buds that have the capacity to taste God, and God's awesome. He's glorious. I, I'm full of joy just knowing him and beholding him. That's, that's how you were created. Problem, though, is that sin which we've all done, we've turned our backs on God, sin causes a thick callus to grow over those spiritual taste buds. So you got a thick callus over your, over your tongue, okay? And so, so now, here's this hot fudge sundae, you know? It's like, well, okay, whatever. There's you know, those before, and it's like, uh, yeah, I'm not tasting anything, okay? Because that, that thick callus of sin has grown up over your spiritual taste buds, and that's how all of us are because of our sin nature and our sin choice to turn from God. You turn from God, and that thick callus of sin grows up over your spiritual taste buds. Now, there's good news. God saves us. He sent Jesus Christ, and Jesus on the cross paid for sin's punishment in our place. And so the moment you turn to Jesus Christ and say, would you save me? Would you change me? I'm not feeling it, but but if you'll change me and save me, would you? At that moment, all your sins get forgiven, past, present, and future, and the great physician goes to work with this scalpel, and he cuts that callus of sin off of your taste buds. Sounds painful, but it's the most wonderful thing in the world. And then he gives you the gift of of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and for the first time, it's like, Whoa. Whoa, that's fullness of joy. That's pleasure. That's, God, my exceeding joy. That's what you experience because the callus of sin has been cut off and you can taste and see. Now, again, it's not like you're in, Nir- we're not in Nirvana, we don't believe in that, but you know, you're not in like cloud nine for the rest of your Christian life. There's ups and there's downs. When I sin, which I do frequently, that callus, and oh, Lord, forgive me, and then gets cut back off again. Oh, yes, okay, right? That's how it is. So I'm, I'm still there much of the time, but we can come to the Lord Jesus as we are, say, help us, change us, and he, he cuts that off, and we're restored into the fullness of knowing the joy of who he is. 
Okay, so God teaches us, so far we've seen it's not wrong to pursue your profit. And then secondly, he teaches us what it is that is truly profitable. Now, just make sure we get this. Is it wealth? It's not a trick question. Thank you. A little more conviction would be helpful, okay? Is it, is it health? Thank you. Is it, how about that trial-free life? Please? Is it that? No? Okay, good. So you got that. What is it? It's God in Jesus Christ. Knowing him. Fellowshipping with him. Just like worship this morning. Or like last night. There's a creek by our house, and I went, I just put my iPhone in and put, just hit the worship shuffle button and just out there walking and praying. And you know, you've, you've had these times where God just meets you. And you're, you're just, whether it was late, nobody was out there, they couldn't see me. But you know, there's times where you just get full. It's not that I'd been like really, really good yesterday or anything, but I just said, God, I need you. Help me. Come. And He did. And you've experienced that. You're full. You're satisfied. Even if your circumstances are bad, God Himself is your exceeding joy. Do, do you get that? Some of you have been disappointed so many times by your pursuit of what's going to finally satisfy you that you've become disillusioned and have lost hope that you'll ever have any kind of joy, let alone fullness of joy or pleasure forever. But I tell you, the joy that you've been craving is only found in one place. Jesus Christ is the greatest joy in the universe. He is the greatest joy in the universe. That's great news. Because you will not seek him and be disappointed. No one who seeks him is disappointed. And so the the last implication is just simply this, that God then teaches us to pursue this greatest profit. P-R-O-F-I-T. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It was in Piper's article. I've never forgotten it. I read it frequently. It nails this point. Got the whole thing up here. Okay? Listen to this. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant, as a philosopher, and the Stoics, Greek philosophers, and is no part of the Christian faith. Have any of you thought that desiring your own good, ah, you really shouldn't do that too much because... See, the Bible never says don't desire your own good, don't pursue your own profit. It just tells us a radically different place to pursue it. Right? I love that first paragraph. And then he says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Here's why. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We settle for too little. That's the problem. So see, the whole Christian life should be the pursuit of joy in Jesus Christ with all your might. Pursue joy in Him. Pursue the exceeding joy of the universe, Jesus Christ. Go after joy. Now let me give you some scriptures to back this up. Okay. 
For example, what should motivate us to obey Jesus? Here's, look at this verse in John 14, 23. What should motivate us? Why should we obey Jesus? Listen to what he says here. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That is a staggering promise. As you walk the path following Jesus, trusting him to forgive you, trusting him to clothe you with his righteousness, trusting him to satisfy you, the path of obedience, you're obeying what he commands, by his grace, by his spirit, enabling you to do that, you will experience in an ever-increasing way God the Father and God the Son coming and making their home in you. The God of the universe and his holy son Jesus indwelling you, making God's presence real to you. It's an amazing motivation for obedience. How about what should motivate us to sell our possessions so we have more to to give to the poor? Luke 12.33 Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Why? Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. When you give to the poor in Jesus' name, you are increasing your treasure in heaven. And what is the treasure of heaven? Knowing God in the person of Jesus. So here's what I say to myself. I say, Fuller, every dollar in your wallet has the potential of increasing your joy in Jesus forever. Do you realize that? Every dollar you have. Again, you're supposed to pay your bills, okay? Take care of your family, make sure your kids are eating, okay? All right, okay? Roofs are helpful, clothes are a really good idea too, okay? See, all right. But, and God calls us to do that, but think about the fact that, oh, giving to the poor in Jesus' name will increase my joy in Jesus forever. So why do you Why do you give? For your profit. Joy in Jesus. Okay, then, then one for the Garden City core, okay? Why share the gospel with lost people? Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. This applies to all of us though, but I wanted to give something to the Garden City church planting core. Paul says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people. Showing the gospel to them, preaching the gospel to them. That by all means I might save some. So one powerful reason is as you do this, people will be saved, redeemed, forgiven, brought into relationship with Jesus Christ. Awesome reason. And then in verse 23, Paul gives a second reason. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I want to advance the gospel so that they'll be saved and because I know that as I advance the gospel, I will be sharing with them in its blessings. That is, as you step out to show Jesus to people and to speak of Jesus to people, as you do that, you will enjoy more of the blessings of the gospel. More. More of God's presence, more of his pleasure, more of his joy, more of his nearness. You will have that. I was talking to a 
to one of the women in our home group who uh, last week shared the gospel with somebody. And uh, she said her husband came home that night and she was just filled, filled. And then the next day I, was take, uh, I, I, saw, I saw her and, and both of them and she was just like on cloud nine. And you've experienced this, haven't you? When you share Jesus with somebody, even if they don't respond, there's this fullness of the Lord that comes upon you and you're satisfied and you're sensing his nearness and there's that closeness that's there. And so one of the reasons to pursue this is, to, I mean, one, one reason is to save people. That's huge. But also because you will share with them in its blessings even more. Okay, so the Christian life is not a matter of squelching your desires for, for pleasure, for satisfaction, for joy. Do you understand that? Now you might get a little squeamish thinking, ah, it just sounds like you're telling me to sin. Okay? I'm not telling you to sin. I'm telling you to stop sinning. Listen, every time you sin, you're settling for less joy than you could have had. Do you understand that? Every time you sin, you're settling for far less joy than you could have had. You're going from exceeding joy to little like dribbles of joy that just last a little while. The Christian life is not squelching your desire for pleasure and joy. The Christian life is pursuing pleasure and joy in Jesus Christ, in knowing Him, in glorifying Him, in seeing Him lifted up, in seeing Him praised, and seeing Him prized by the people around you. That's what the Christian life is. So I want to call you pursue joy, pleasure, and satisfaction in Christ. And you'll give away your money, and to go to unreached people groups, you'll risk being imprisoned, you'll risk having your neighbor think you're strange because you're caring for him and sharing the gospel, you will risk and it will cost, you may send your children and granddaughter away like the Yulies did to go over to work with Wycliffe Bible Translations, okay? It will cost you. And it will reward you infinitely more. Pursue joy, pleasure, and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. We had like time maybe for one or two questions. Uh, and I like to open it up for questions. So you might think, did you really say that? And, and maybe I didn't or didn't mean to. Okay, good. Thanks, Bob. Help me out here. Yeah. So one word you haven't used this morning is the word contentment. Contentment. I think, I think you need to weave that in. Yeah, what is contentment? Contentment means that um, you don't need anything else if you have Jesus. Right? Isn't that what contentment is? Satisfaction. Satisfaction, right? Yeah, so, yes. And that's, that's my understanding of contentment. And so discontentment means um, I'm seeking my contentment in something besides Jesus or, and or, I, I'm not experiencing the contentment that Jesus offers. So, okay, satisfaction, contentment, those are crucial words. Okay, another question. Do you get this? Or is anybody thinking, I think he told us to go out and start sinning. Is anybody thinking that? Okay. Please be honest, because I'm not telling you to do that, okay? Because that's not, that is not where joy, I mean, some level of joy, some level of pleasure, obviously, okay? But that's not what I'm calling us to do. I'm calling you to pursue the fullness of joy and the lasting pleasure that's found in knowing Jesus Christ. Is it found in what Jesus gives you? And he, he's, he will give you wonderful things, okay? He's given me a wife. It's just amazing. I'm so blessed. We had lunch with my son yesterday. It was such a great time. Um, 
And we can find joy in those things. But don't seek your joy in those things. If I sought my joy in my wife, I would destroy my wife. And if any woman could satisfy this heart forever, it would be her, but not even she can, because no woman can. I mean that as a great compliment to Jan. Okay, understand that? All right. Understand that? Okay. Any other questions? Maybe there's some verses in 1 John that he's referring to. Uh, Everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, 1 John 5.18. Okay, that's right there. But also in 1 John chapter 1, in fact, let's just turn to it because I want you to have a verse that you could answer this because do you realize what a discouraging thing that you had to get resaved every time you sinned? Do you know how many times I need to be resaved every day? Okay, understand that there's there's a real problem with that. So look at 1 John chapter 1. Because uh, you do have verses in First John, and I think what that verse in First John five eighteen means: everybody who's born of, of God does not keep on sinning. That is, there's a a new trend that's developed in your life. You don't become perfect, but you are changed, and you will see increasing growth in obedience to Christ. You will never become perfect this side of heaven, but your your you practice your practice is no longer sin. Your practice now there's a growing consistency in obedience, and when you do sin, like Paul said, you're you're broken for it. And you come back to Christ. So that's 1 John 5.18. But look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we, so the Apostle John's including himself in this list, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So we should not say we have no sin. Do you see that? And so 1 John can't be saying that when you're saved, when you're born again, you'll stop sinning because he also says in chapter 1, verse 8, that we, including himself, all of us believers, don't say you have no sin because you do. So that's, that'd be my answer. Okay? All right, two takeaways, and then I, I want to pray and, and we'll wrap up. First of all, one takeaway just for salvation. That is, I'm sure some of you, your taste buds, you know, I hear I'm talking about this hot fudge Sunday of knowing Jesus Christ, and you're like, just not tasting it. Just, ah, dah, you know. Okay? You could leave your change today. Because of Jesus, not because of us or our church or me or anything like that, but because of Jesus Christ. He's here. He's resurrected. He's living. He's alive. And if you will ask him, he will come and he will forgive you for all your sins and he will cut away the callous of sin, which is keeping you from enjoying him and tasting the God of the universe who you were created to worship and love forever. You could be changed today and taste the joy that you've been longing for all your life. So do. Turn away from independence from God, bend the knee before Jesus Christ, say, save me. And he will, just like that, right here, right now. So do that. And then just secondly, I want to challenge those of you who do know Christ. Why do you obey? How many, how many of your obedience is really, truth be known, out of duty? Like, like, why are you here this morning? It's like, well, what would they think if I wasn't there? That's not a good reason, okay? Or well, I, I, I do this every Sunday. I would just feel really weird. That's not a good reason, Are you here today for the joy? Because you're going to meet the living God. And as you are here serving the body, ministering to people, God's going to make his presence real to you. Are you here for your joy today? See, I I still fall in. I I mean, how much of our obedience is still just because of duty? Because this is what Christians do, and I'm a Christian. Let's just, like, tear that thing down, okay? And set your heart on the living Jesus and, and obey for Jesus because you want more of him. And then there's life there, duty. Now, there's a place for duty. 
There's many times I need to say, Jesus, I'm here, I'm not feeling it, change me, help me. So there's some place, but none of our obedience should be mostly duty, or all duty. There should be a sense of longing for the Lord. So don't obey just out of duty. That's not what this book talks about. That's not what this book's talking about. Obey the Lord for him. And it doesn't mean that somebody's going to, that everybody's here going to be here like encouraging you. That'll happen and that's a good thing, but, but he can give you more of him as you're giving to somebody else, right? So we receive from the Lord. Salvation, let the Lord cut off that callus of sin from your taste buds today. And then motivation, don't obey mostly out of duty. Obey out of longing for the Lord and delight in him and hunger for him. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Mm. I pray that right now by your power, Lord Jesus Christ, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You have risen from the dead. You are here by your spirit. Would you save people right now, I pray. Call upon the Lord right now. Ask him to change you, to forgive you, to, to save you. He will. He will. We'd love to pray for you afterwards. But Father, I pray that you would do that right now in hearts here. And I I pray, Lord, for those of us who already know you, but for whom much of our Christian life is just duty, just because we're supposed to. And maybe there's been a loss of life. I pray that you would change us today. We would see that you don't call us to squelch our desires for joy and pleasure. You call us to pursue them in Jesus Christ. So reorient our Christian lives today, I pray. And then pour, pour out the joy of the living Jesus upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.